Hello, this is Lisa coming to you from The Eel, the Edmund Elder Library, and today we're going to be doing chapter 31, day 31. God is my rock in whom I will take refuge. 2 Samuel 22 and 3, and this is meeting God in holy places, a devotional journey by Ethelgard Smith. The Bell Caves, Comfort. They are by no means the size of Mammoth Cave, nor do they have anything inside them that begins to compare with the spectacular stalagmites. I don't know how to pronounce these words. Stalagmites and stalactites of Carlsbad Caverns. In fact, the Bell Caves are not caves at all, but only ancient quarries. Beautiful quarries, cave-like quarries, except for the unusual amount of light which floods down through gaping holes at the top of each bell-shaped cavern and which also seeps in from yawning openings where walls from adjacent pits have caved in. What takes you by surprise is that from the ground above, you would never guess that a network of some 800 caves, many large enough to hold a ballistic missile upright, could possibly lie just beneath the surface. As you drive south from the ancient city of Marisha, Toward the newer city of Bet Govrin, G U V R I N, Govrin, southwest of Jerusalem, all you see is a typical Judean countryside, no scared, scarred landscape, no huge, ugly hole in the ground, so typical of quarries. The bell caves were formed as a result of an unusual technique used in quarrying process, itself made possible by the local geological structure of the region. In this area, a hard, five to ten foot thick layer of crust called N-A-R-I, Nari, covers a soft chalky rock called K-I-R-T-O-N, Kirtan, over 300 feet thick. Given that unique structure, the quarries would begin by making a narrow hole in the crust. The quarriers would begin by making a narrow hole in the crust and widen it as they dug deeper. The bell shape that resulted not only provided strong structural support, but serendipitously preserved the moisture in the soft rock, protected the workers from the weather above ground, and gave easy access to the surface by ropes for both workers and stone blocks. More important than the caves themselves is the story of their secondary use. The caves were dug in the 7th to 10 centuries after Christ by an Arabic-speaking Christian population. Throughout the caves are Arabic inscriptions as well as drawings and crosses etched on the walls. Once the stones were removed, the people used the new underground caves for collecting water, for industrial use, for storage, for animal pens, even as burial sites and places of worship. While visiting the Bell Caves, I was struck by the graceful beauty of the smooth, white-walled caverns, the serenity of their cool, quiet interiors, and the shafts of light, the shafts of light penetrating what one would have expected to be an eerie darkness. Beauty, serenity, light. The caves were like an early heaven. Make that an underground heaven. In fact, make that an underground haven. Heaven, haven. What is heaven even anyway if not an eternal haven? A place of peace and security, a place of rest, a place of comfort. It seems to me that coming to know God is a lot like quarrying our way into such an idyllic place. 
We begin by penetrating the outer layer, which is the familiar world in which we live. On one hand, our world reveals the power and goodness of God. On the other hand, our world is like a hard crust that hides the spiritual world lying just beneath the surface. We have to dig to find the hidden treasure. What I like about the bell caves is that the process of digging used by the workers was ecologically correct. They didn't just come in with a bunch of bulldozers and rape the land. They didn't leave scar tissue. They caused no ugliness as if performing orthoscopic surgery. Scopic. It's a <laughs> divided word. Um, they left the landscape as it was and yet penetrated deep within. I think that is what God intends for us to do when we seek to know Him. To be in the world, but not of it. To use His creation as a starting place. To take what we know from this world and use it to learn more about Him. Isn't that what Jesus' parables were all about? Far from asking us to deny the world around us or even leaving us to find Him only in nature, God says to us, dig deep. True life is not just what you see around you, but a treasure I have hidden beneath the surface. Dig it up and bring it into your world. You can use it to build, to beautify, to glorify. The irony is that we the irony is that the more deeply we dig into the heart of God in order to improve our lives in this world, the more otherworldly we become. If once a week or once a day or even once an hour we climb down from our world into his, we begin to see more and more of his love, his goodness and his comfort. God's heart is bell-shaped. The deeper we go, the wider it gets. For an artist to properly depict the bell caves would take a canvas larger than any gallery could ever hold. How could one possibly paint on so grand a scale? Likewise, what can possibly compare with God's love? The Apostle Paul could only begin to describe it when he prayed that we may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Who can experience such love without wanting to immerse oneself in it? Who can enter day after day into this otherworldly realm without one day realizing that what lies beneath the surface is more real than the material world in which we exist? Who can feel the comfort of God's secure spiritual haven without becoming uncomfortable with the world's ever so insecure alternative? Unlike any cave I've ever explored, the deeper I go into the heart of God, the more light I see. Light for my pathway, insight into God, insight into my world, insight into myself. It must have been a great comfort to the young prophet Daniel when he and his fellow wise men were threatened with death in the palace of the Babylonian king. In the darkness of his troubled sleep, God sent a vision of insight which brought rescue and salvation. Daniel was overcome with sheer joy. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with Him. Who has ever sought comfort from God with more fervor and anguish than Job? When all around his world was crumbling, Job sought God in the depths of his own heart. Deeper and deeper he dug in search of answers, and the deeper he dug, the greater he appreciated God's love. The deeper he dug, the more he realized how little he could understand about God by merely standing on the surface looking down. You can almost see Job at the bottom of his own bell-shaped quest for God, tethered to this cruel world 
by only a threadbare cord of defiant, trusting faith. Weary from the labor of Corian, God's awesome, elusive character, all that Job could do was wipe his brow and praise his sovereign creator. To God belongs wisdom and power, said Job. Counsel and understanding are his. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. Have you, like Job, ever stared down into darkness and found the light of God's wisdom hidden by your own shadow? Has sickness or loneliness or rejection made you long to be swallowed up in the depths of God's love? If so, the proverb is for you. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Search for God's comfort. Dig deep for it. Settle for nothing shallow. I love those who love me, says God, and those who seek me, find me. But with what shall we dig? How by any means can mortal man penetrate the crust of this material world to quarry the heart of God? The most amazing thing is that God reveals himself to those who make the effort to know him. If we must dig, if we must diligently and fervently search God's heart for the comfort we seek, nevertheless, God is like the kirton, K-I-R-T-O-N, soft rock, not hard like this world's own indifference to our greatest needs. From the Apostle Paul comes a wonderful assurance that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Quarrying the heart of God is not like digging with a blunted shovel. It's more like being lowered into one of the bell caves on a rope and discovering blocks of stone which have already been hewn by somebody else. The greatest comfort of all is knowing that we are not alone in our search for comfort. In fact, as with the heart of God itself, the deeper we go into our own pit of hopelessness, loneliness, fear, or despair, the greater we experience God's love. If we usually tend to think of God being up there in heaven somewhere, rather than in the depths of some ancient quarry, even so, the truth is that there is no place where we cannot find God's love. Like us, the psalmist looked heavenward in his adulation of God saying your righteousness reaches to the skies O God you who have done great things but the psalmist could just as well have been at the bottom of deep dank quarry when he wrote though you have made me see troubles many many and bitter you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth you will again bring me up you will increase my honor and comfort me once again after all when do we most need comforting when we are on a mountaintop or when we are in the pits, when we are in the pits. Without question, God knows full well when we need him most. How could we ever forget that our Savior himself was buried in a quarry, in a tomb? When Joseph of Arimathea had taken Jesus' body down from the cross, he wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. Had the story ended there, of course, there will be no comfort in Christ. The quarry of death would have held captive its prey. And the heart of God would not be deep enough or wide enough to care about what happens to the rest of us. But the psalmist's words have meaning for us precisely because they have meaning for Jesus. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. By the ropes of his divine power, God lifted up a stone in Zion, a a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation of his temple. 
by those same ropes of grace, God lifts us up from the bottom, from the bosom of His heart, and gives us new life, new hope, new vision for what He has called us to be. And this is where the picture of God's heart as a cabin, spell-shaped haven of comfort takes the most interesting turn of all. The prophet Isaiah changes the metaphor so that not just Christ is hewn out and lifted up as the chief cornerstone, but we ourselves become hewn from him who is the rock of ages. Listen to me, says Isaiah, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Is there a greater expression of hope and expectancy? The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like a garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving, and the sound of singing. Comfort, compassion, joy, gladness, thanksgiving, singing, all from the depths of heaven like quarry. All of the immeasurable depth and breadth of the heart of an N-E-I-M-E-F-F-A-B-L-E ineffable, ineffable God. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God, a place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God, a place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. Cleland B. McAfee. Anyway, so that that concludes our 31 days of Meeting God in Holy Places book. And I do a podcast, like I said, on Anchor, and it's called The Ill, the Edmund Elder Library. Sister Edmund Elder was our pastor's mother. She was a missionary to Pakistan and Africa, and she did, right here, she's doing a Bible study in Urdu. She's got a Bible chart, prophecy chart. But anyway, um, so this, our library and this book belongs to that library, and so I shared it with you all. And so check out my um, check out my podcast if you like it. And I usually have music playing behind there, so it's kind of it's kind of nice. And I've got a new book; it's on its way. Uh, it should be here. Um, that will start a new podcast on Monday. I don't do a podcast on Saturday and Sunday. So anyway, that's me, Lisa Peter, coming to you from the Ill, the Edwin L. Library, on Anchor. Bye bye.